The Research and Practice and Research and Practice for Adults podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice for children, adults and families. Thank you for joining us at this Research and Practice, Research and Practice for Adults podcast. I'm Kate, Learning and Development Officer, and today I'm joined by Jane and Deborah, and we're going to be having a conversation around criminal exploitation and the effects on children, young people, adults, families and communities. This is the second of two podcasts. In the first podcast, we looked at Greater Manchester's context of criminal exploitation. In this the second, we will talk about Greater Manchester's approach to tackling it. Last time you talked about changing attitudes and the need for effective responses to criminal exploitation. How did Greater Manchester go about coordinating that and bringing people along? So um, certainly one of the things around the complex safeguarding work is that we are developing kind of, you know, the idea is we have a central team, which is myself, two practice leads and analyst, and we are, you know, based with the challenger team and work collaboratively. And there's the central challenger team Debbie talked about. Um, and we're setting up services within each of the 10 areas they are multi-agency you know they're teams that include police health children's social care um, youth offending you have voluntary sector agencies within there so we have the independent child trafficking advocates in there the children's society disrupting exploitation workers um, and then other areas will have locally commissioned voluntary sector partners that they work with um, and it's really through having that really robust multi-agency approach that you will be able to have an impact in those communities and be able to work more closely with them to have those interactions and those conversations about changing culture and that obviously informs how we then have kind of a shift within our own organisations by being able to work more closely in those partnership uh, teams. But there's a long journey to go on and we've developed lots of campaigns to start some of the work. So I mentioned the Trapped campaign which is focused specifically around criminal exploitation, county lines. Uh, Challenger um, also have the Would You Modern Slavery campaign um, and we have the It's Not Okay Phoenix CSE campaign so we have lots of different campaigns and we do weeks of action uh, we go out into communities we had a week of action where we spent an entire day in the traffic centre talking to people all day with there for 12 hours um, and we've done that in other areas across Greater Manchester so this is really about us getting out there and talking to people in communities not just kind of sitting sitting back and talking about it to each other we want to interact with people and have those conversations I think we also want um, people to actually understand from a police perspective we aren't just about uh, criminalising and prosecuting either it's it's really difficult when perhaps you might have somebody who's in custody whether it's for possession with intent to supply uh, drugs or for cultivating cannabis etc um, you know burglary, thefts, whatever and if you've got that person in custody um, and they're not telling you that they're a victim then the police um, naturally would go down you know, the court process, prosecution process. So it's really important and a lot of our awareness raising and training is to, you know, particularly frontline police, to understand that when they are in custody or they are at a warrant, they're looking for, not just for um, evidence for a prosecution, but they're looking for clues and signs that somebody actually might be a victim. So, you know, if, if that person, particularly if that person isn't coming forward as a victim and there's no other evidence, so it's looking on police systems them, speaking to the family, has the behaviour changed, you know, does the intelligence suggest that perhaps they're associating with organised crime groups and thinking is that person a victim and then having that conversation with CPS and ultimately, you know, having a more informed decision around, you know, whether we go down the suspect or the victim route. And also the Modern Slavery Act offers a statutory defence 
for um, exploitation, criminal exploitation. So it's again, it's getting that message out. So we're letting young people know, you know, that that, that defence is out there, that legislation is there to protect them and actually trying to get them to engage with the police, to speak out if they're a victim, as opposed to being fearful that they're just going to be prosecuted because they know they've been selling drugs, because they know they've been committing criminality. And we've been successful in that, haven't we, quite early on, actually. So we, um, in one of, the, so one of our areas where we have a complex safeguarding response and they work closely with our uh, Bernardo's Independent Child Trafficking Advocates, um, we were informed about a young man who f- was from Greater Manchester, but he was charged in another part of the country um, uh, with having Class A drugs. Um, and he got notified, one of the youth defending services up here got notified because obviously he was a young person from our area. Um, and actually, we came together and had a multi-agency meeting um, that included the youth defending services, children's services, police, the modern slavery unit, myself, the independent child trafficking advocate, and we were able to review all the information about that young man and come up with a decision that we were very clear he was exploited, that he'd ended up there because he was actually exploited and sent there to sell drugs. And we used all of that to put in a defence for him with the NRM and actually um, we were successful and he wasn't actually prosecuted for those offences. And he's been able to be supported and moved out of the area because that's what he chose, he wanted to do that, move on um, and get him settled in another part of the country with ongoing support. But actually only be able, being able to do that, we were only able to do that by bringing those people together and having those conversations no one agency can do that on their own and that's one thing that we think you know we know is coming up time and time again as a challenge I think for practitioners um, around criminal exploitation certainly um, around like the NRM um, and when you submit it when you don't submit it um, and is it right for criminal exploitation there's lots of different messages and we're very clear that you know if you've got a concern you think somebody is exploited yes you do submit it but if you can sit down as a multi-agency and get more in-depth knowledge and understanding of what's gone on for that young person or an adult you know you can put a much more informed um NRM forward would actually support that person and you're more likely to get a better outcome for them so we're very clear it's those partnerships that make that work what I would say really helps having um, the police and children's services together in the complex safeguarding teams the complex safeguarding workers have lower caseloads so while they're social workers they are not carrying out the statutory function there are statutory social workers in the area teams they will have a role that's more around engagement with those young people spend lots of time getting to know them developing that trusted relationship and they share a wealth of information around them and that those young people know they work very closely and are co-located with police officers and with youth vending workers and with health and with other partners but by being able to develop those relationships we get to find out more what's going on with those young people and we can use that together jointly to give them the best support we can um, in a system that's probably not very well designed to respond to some of these issues because you know it, it's quite difficult a lot of these risks are outside of the family home um, and actually we need to be able to support families and young people to you know work through these risks particularly when there's threats around organized crime so it's absolutely crucial we do it as a partnership um, but critical to that is how we obviously support young people and families through the process. You've spoken about raising awareness within communities and how you've tried to address the culture of silence. Could you expand on how you've been able to work with and learn from the community? We've done work with specific um, like community groups, so particularly with um, youth projects. Um, so when we developed our Trapped campaign, actually, we worked with the Factory Youth Zone uh, in North Manchester, uh, and that's a, a, a youth 
project that works with lots of young people um, who access it all the time and do different activities there uh, and we work with them to come up with the idea of what the message should be and what we should call it and we work with the local um, youth um, uh, sorry theatre company to devise our first campaign film and we've worked with them a couple of times and we're going to obviously look at other areas and do a very similar thing uh, what we don't want to do is design campaigns materials messages and say this is what it is because actually it needs to come from the other way around so we do have um, forums that we link in through our complex safeguarding steering group we have some operational groups um, we have the NGO forum as well um, that Challenger runs that we link in with a range of NGOs who kind of come together uh, it's bi-monthly now isn't it yeah. and share information and talk collaboratively about what's happening and um, you know help each other see what other supports out there different services that are there um, so we've got different networks that we do that with with young people with the NGOs um, and in different forums really and we kind of will bring those messages back and see how that will inform how we change as we move forward and how we develop our services. The Mother Slave Unit over the past four years have been really great at engaging with adults, um, particularly where there's been concerns, um, uh, modern slavery and trafficking concerns, and providing links into the NGOs through an NGO forum um, that was set up by the Stop the Traffic. Uh, there was a Stop the Traffic worker based within the Modern Slavery Unit whose role really was around setting up the NGO network so we could access support and obviously look at different services. Um, and I think that was really helpful in linking into NGOs where there were concerns about adults being identified. And, and I know certainly from a complex safeguarding perspective, some of the teams are um, looking at an all-age complex safeguarding team and are building in that transition element because we know very clearly the magic age of 18, you know, uh, people don't just stop being victims or don't stop needing support and we need to be able to support them all the way through. Um, and I know there's some excellent examples that I know Rochdale had a team that was set up around sexual exploitation um, and they've recently been able to support on some visits around um, a case um, where there were concerns that linked both adults and children around exploitation and I'm sure Debbie will be able to give you some more detail about that. I would just say I think there is a gap when it comes to adults from an adult services perspective because um, many of the cases I think that we've referred in previously um, you know it's not quite met the threshold um, and that's been a big challenge for us um, because the concerns haven't always been around somebody's um, capacity to consent um, or around specifically around health concerns it's actually been around them being a victim of trafficking and some of those issues relate to them potentially them being homeless and other things that we might need to provide support around and I think they're the areas we've probably struggled the most with I think we've moved on a bit and I certainly think as we're developing a response in the complex safeguarding teams where they're having an all-age approach or at least having an adult worker based in there um, to kind of help them navigate through some of the issues around the legislation and the services we're starting to see some shift in that um, and certainly as I've mentioned, we've had quite a recent case in Rochdale where there's been some quite good success, hasn't there, Debbie? Yeah, so they've been um, really proactive um, from that area. So having had a, a lot of awareness training around criminal exploitation, um, they've traditionally been looking at one particular organised crime group involved in uh, large-scale drug dealing, Class A drugs, across the whole of the borough. Um, and following some inputs around criminal exploitation traditionally the way the approach to tackling an organized crime group particularly dealing with drugs will be to look at the importers the people moving around the large quantities um, and attack prosecute those individuals um, what the team did 
which was which was groundbreaking really was look at some of the phone lines and some look at some of the phone traffic and cross match that with some of the young people who had already been open to services particularly around CSE and what they identified is that some of those young people were were the ones who were involved in dealing the drugs so they instead of looking at um, the phone traffic in relation to the importers they looked right at the end of that phone track to look who were who were the dealers and a lot of those dealers were previous CSE victims but not just ones who were known but also very young people so their approach to looking at that um, was to obviously safeguard and within within that group of victims there were also a number of vulnerable adults who were cuckooing as well um, but what they didn't want to do was have the onus and the pressure of those children and vulnerable adults to provide all the evidence for that case so they looked at how they could corroborate um, the intelligence so that, that those people would never have to go to court so a lot of it involved evidence in the telephony but the, but the team went out and actually spoke to some of the end users, the drug user was buying, who were buying from the children, and a lot of them were really morally outraged, really. The fact that, albeit they still needed to buy the drugs, the fact that they were being sold drugs by children, a lot of them were quite willing to come forward and say, actually, this is wrong and provide statements, um, which was really good. And I know that the NRM isn't there from an investigative point of view, it's there to support victims, but having had... Um, a number of positive NRM uh, decisions in relation to say 12 children that supported the case as well because we were able to say look we've got 12 positive decisions here around 12 young people so it was really important and what was really good is that that case was, was, was brought to trial um, without ever having to have vulner any vulnerable adults or young people give evidence which was great and from the outset that team actually looked at it from a safeguarding perspective, rather than criminalising the people that were, that, that were coming across. And, and you know, when you looked at some of those individual cases, you know, there were children, uh, boys as young as 13, 14, who'd been groomed within such a short period of time. I think it's, I don't have a lot of experience around CSE, the, the experience I have around criminal exploitation is that the grooming process can be really quick. It's a case of, certainly in this case, um, children wanting so they want they want the designer stuff they want that status they want to stand out they want that um, persona so they were, they were being given extravagant clothing um, and gifts that they could walk around with um, and then they were being taken off them really really quickly and in order to get them back they had to you know um, at first in one case sell a little bit of weed cannabis and then within a couple of weeks progressing to being driven around and dealing class a drugs and also um, committing crime against other OCGs, so you can see the level, the, th the threat to those young people. It's not even just about drug dealing now; it's about actually being targeted by rival drugs OCGs because they're being forced to commit criminality against them too. From what you've been saying, it seems that often exploited adults are not getting the support they might need, as it can be quite difficult to navigate an individual's capacity, choice, coercion, consent, and exploitation. Perhaps it might be helpful if you could describe what cuckooing might look like to help professionals more easily identify people and knowing when to share this information. 
Um, so we have an example of a vulnerable male. Um, he was a professional um, and unfortunately lost um, lost a member of the family who took his own life. Um, life then spiraled out of control for him. He developed a drug habit which then led him to have a drugs debt that then led um, him into a situation where an organised crime group were then using his address. So. Uh, they were taking his benefits, he wasn't eating, he lost a significant amount of weight within a very short period of time. Um, he was being beaten horrendously um, and for him it got to the point where he literally had to physically escape because he'd, he took a really severe beating. Um, now in for him to have got to that stage there must have been clues along the way, there must have been professionals who were involved with him, neighbours, other family members who perhaps could have spotted those signs but for him it got to really the end of the line where he had no choice because in whatever whichever way he went whether he came to the police or whether he remained with the OCG he was he was in a you know the threats were horrendous and he was, he was a, it would have terrible consequences for him um, so I think what's really important is that spotting the signs, the awareness for professionals, for members of the public, for police officers. I know that his address then became um, an address that was used to sell drugs from. So the police would have been to that address. Neighbours would have heard the commotions that were going on. The, the, you know, for health is huge, isn't it? Because a lot of these young people, vulnerable adults, uh, must be presenting at A&E. Mm -hmm. So as a multi-agency, we all need to spot the signs, understand, talk to each other, share information, because again, I think certainly for a number of agencies, that can be a prickly subject, can't it, around data protection and stuff. Um, because ideally, we wouldn't want to get it to, to that end stage as it happened for that, that person who ultimately uh, consented to going into the NRM to the National Referral Mechanism. Um, but again, that's only a for a limited amount of time. Um, there has to be a plan for when that person then comes out of the NRM um, you know, and, and where he will be housed and have some kind of risk assessment plan in place that, again, has to be multi-agency to, to make sure he's adequately safeguarded for, you know, in the future. I think the point you made about a bereavement at the start there is quite important. We did some work... Um, I think it must be about four years ago now with the Home Office uh, and UCLAN and uh, across Greater Manchester there was uh, I think five areas and we looked at, uh, it was classed as young people's pathways into organised crime but technically there were young people who were being criminally exploited when you started to look through it further but um, the research that we did or the, the work that was done and then UCLAN came in and evaluated it it was very clear for all of those young people who ended up on that trajectory to getting involved in organised crime in some way or another um, there'd been some significant bereavement or significant trauma right at the start of that pathway and often the bereavement was um, around for the males a male role model and that loss of a male role model and then they were kind of uh, it made them more vulnerable to being targeted and groomed and exploited then um, which were predominantly older males then within that but I think that was a really significant thing that we learned from that that we need to apply looking at criminal exploitation as well um, because for lots of the young people there is some form of trauma um, that may have occurred that has um, meant that they are vulnerable to being targeted or groomed for some specific reason um, and I think that's something that we don't often always ask the questions about why we deal with kind of the presenting issue but we don't always ask the questions why and look at those kind of underlying issues for young people and for families um, and I think that's something we need to start doing differently to be able to actually respond to this much better. Mm -hmm. Are there any key ways that social workers can support a proactive and positive multi-agency response? 
I think close working and sharing information yeah. uh, like I said before it can be a touchy subject but for instance thinking about one um, one incident I know we debriefed um, an ongoing operation which involved exploitation of children and adults and, and some of the findings from that debrief were that I think social workers were sometimes having information that for them was just day-to-day stuff and, and was unaware that actually if the police had known that it wouldn't have meant they'd have taken enforcement activity or anything that would have compromised their relationship with that person but actually that little piece of information might have been a tactic for the police to safeguard that person better so for instance if a social worker picked up on, on the fact that a young person they were working with was um being driven around by a member of you know a gang or whatever or in a particular vehicle there might be there might be interventions that the police could have took in relation to that person that could have safeguarded um, somebody. So I think sharing information is so, so important, um, working together, because, again, I think that sometimes there are misconceptions around, oh, we all have different roles. I think we all have the same role, and it's about safeguarding and doing the right thing by victims. And certainly in Manchester and Greater Manchester, having the complex safeguarding teams working together, it makes absolute sense because we do all all have the same objectives and goals. And by talking to each other, particularly when we're co-located, I can only see great benefits from it, really. If people want to know more information about the work you're doing here in Greater Manchester... Is there a way they can contact you or find out more? Uh, yeah, there is a Programme Challenger website, so that's programmechallenger.co.uk, um, and there's lots of information, stra- uh, our strategies posted on there, and uh, campaign information around trapped, modern slavery, and other um, information regarding how we're tackling organised criminality across Greater Manchester. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much for that, and thank you so much for your time to serve today. It's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Research in Practice and Research in Practice for Adults podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and share your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP or at RIPFA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>